pockets of a beer or a cold libation. I can tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start up with some talking and some moody clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. That's just slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today is another mailbag show. I got very busy last month. I put out way too many episodes for OSR October. Lots of great interviews. I'm very glad I did them all. But this month, I'm hoping to scale back to the two episodes a week that I normally do. But I want to get these calls out. So I'm going to publish all the calls I have pending up to today. The only calls I'm still holding are for Movie Monday for November, which is Crawl. So if you want to watch Crawl and then call in or send me an email, or there's a variety of ways to reach me, they're on the show notes, but send your thoughts in about the movie Crawl. I will play them when that episode comes out. The Crawl episode will come out on the 27th of November. So you have until the 24th of November to send me your thoughts. And again, the way to do that's all in the show notes. But if you've sent me a call other than crawl, well, I'm recording this on November 6th. So if you've sent me a call prior to the 6th of November, which is a Monday, then you should hear it today. If you don't hear it, reach out to me because it got lost in the shuffle somewhere. And then I'll be caught up on calls and we'll go from there back to normal kind of content. I hope you enjoy the these calls. I did get Harrigan to help me answer some of the questions that came in in regard to his interview with me. And we are talking about recording another interview, so watch for that in the future. But that's enough of Jason babbling. Let's open up the mailbag. Oh, one last thing I want to plug actually is Ray Otis's Lord of the Rings read-along. That is being hosted on the Audio Dungeon. So if you follow the links in my show notes, you can join the Audio Dungeon Discord, and you'll find that discussion there. We've only just started. This week we're talking about the prologue. Next week we'll pick up and talk about chapters one and two, talking about two chapters a week, taking the holiday weeks off. That'll get us through the trilogy in about a year. And even though we're halfway through the first day, we're having a lot of great conversations so far. Lots of fun. So if you're interested in rereading The Lord of the Rings and discussing it with people while you're reading it, then come over to the Audio Dungeon Discord and join us. Okay, now let's get to those calls. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house. Hi, Jason. Spencer here. 
I really, really enjoyed your conversation with Harrigan. It sounds like we have very similar preferences when it comes to gaming, although I'm probably a little more forgiving when it comes to Gonzo, although I certainly accept there are settings where that sort of thing probably wouldn't be welcome. At one point, chase rules were mentioned, and it's always seemed a little odd to me that things like chases and, uh, well, grappling, for example, are often considered to require additional, often quite complicated rules. And I, I do wonder about that. In a recent session of Call of Cthulhu, my character gave chase to a fleeing attacker and Andy confessed to not being fully versed in the chase rules. As I understand it, there's a page or two devoted to chasing rules. Instead, we took account of the character's movement rates, rolled checks accordingly, and that seemed like a perfectly sufficient way to handle things. The guy escaped, but that's besides the point. But why shouldn't chases just be a handful of dex rolls? Why is grappling not just a matter of strength checks? Just a personal observation, but it does seem a little strange to me that stat checks are somehow not sufficient in certain circumstances. Anyway, love the conversation. So much good stuff there. So many good games mentioned. And I'm intrigued to know what was on that list that Harrigan had on standby. Perhaps you'll have him on again to discuss that further. Spencer, thank you so much for that call. You know, I think a lot of us really like mini games. I know Daniel Norton and I do. So that's part of the reason we don't just want to do ability checks and have that be the whole of the game, because that would be boring to some of us. Now, for other players, that would be great. And that would speed things along. It's it's kind of goes down that thing. Why isn't everything just down to a D6 roll, right? And and it's really going to differ group to group, I think. But to answer your questions better, I reached out and called a friend. Jason, it's Harrigan. Thank you for sending over the audio files for the calls that came in from the podcast that you and I recorded together about the OSR. Thought I would just leave a couple of notes here uh, without going into too much sort of detail on this stuff. Spencer uh, wrote about, um, well, he didn't write anything, did he? He spoke about chase rules. And in the particular game he's talking about, I think it's pretty amusing. He mentioned that the GM uh, wasn't up to speed on the page or two of chase rules in the seventh edition of Call of Cthulhu. Spencer, there are 21 pages of chase rules in that game. Go ahead and uh, check them out. They're, uh, they're pretty absurd. Hello, Jason. My name's Michael. I have heard your voice many times over at like Monsters and Treasure and other podcasts and have started listening to yours. I uh, especially appreciated the interview you just gave um, with Harrigan and uh, just talking about OSR playstyle and all the games and whatnot. Um, just uh, very cool to kind of broaden their horizons a little bit for myself. and. Uh, get some context and some history. And I also enjoyed hearing Mouse Ritter, which uh, I have fun playing with my girls. So just want to say thanks for that. Um, you know, thanks for all your comments and all the other various podcasts and everything certainly uh, sparked some thoughts in me. So uh, I figure I would 
come by and say hi and say thanks. So take care. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for those kind words. I hope you're enjoying the show and you stick around. You mentioned Mouse Ritter, and Mouse Ritter is a great little game, and it's the basis for another game called Frog Errant, which is a solo fantasy adventure game. And my buddy James Schrall over at Subclass Act just recently released a podcast of a solo playthrough of Frog Errant. I'll put a link in the show notes for you to check it out. Let's go on to the next call. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Hans Keep Calling In. Great conversation with Harrigan. I thought that Ranger game, at least the premise of it in the world, sounded a lot like Dogs in the Vineyard. I mean, not the world being the setting, but like the way the world was set up with the, the Rangers being judges and fighting crime and going between these locations. So that's kind of interesting. I always thought Dogs in the Vineyard was very cool. And speaking of innovative, I, I think Dogs in the Vineyard is probably one of the most innovative systems mechanic-wise that I've ever played. And even though I am a I don't love a single system person, even though it sounds like Harrigan does, <laughs> uh, Dogs in the Vineyard does, I think, essentially has what that, that one system, and it just really works well. But that's probably the gamest part of me that likes that. So, And I'm not sure that would fly on. I'm, in fact, I'm certain that wouldn't be uh, easy to do on play-by-post, so probably not the right kind of game for that. But at the table, I, I love the back and forth. And, you know, Speaking of that, I kind of have a little – I'm curious because – I, the way I would interpret, uh, let's say, an OSR interaction between the DM and the player is lots of back and forth. And there was a little bit of conversation where I, I think Harrigan said, maybe you did, uh, where you said – somebody said that uh, it, OSR is good for play-by-post because you just make a roll and there's not lots of back and forth. I, I think the opposite. I, I mean when I play OSR games, it's always tons of back and forth. I actually find that games that have lots of skills are easier to adjudicate – with a single roll, because if you're just trying to get it done, you can just say, roll your locksmithing. Whereas if it's Noah's R game and you have no thief and you have no lockpicks, how do you get through the locked door? Explain it to me. Ask me questions. So to me, that's a little different. So I, I love the the contrast of the we're looking at the same scene differently. So I love that. I love hearing from different people. Great conversation. I'd love to hear the uh, Harrigan back on again. Uh, so you guys can delve deeper into the other things you were talking about, because it sounds like you could have long and interesting conversations that I would love to uh, eavesdrop on. So anyways, thanks for now. Great content. I will talk to you later. I think it was Dan who may have called uh, to talk about, among other things, sort of how the OSR style, um, how it fit with play-by-post uh, games. And, and he had a differing opinion than I did, where I mentioned that I found them very quick, quick to play and they were well well adaptable mainly because there wasn't a lot of negotiation on each role and he had a different perspective on that and I actually totally agree with what the comments that he left which were more about like um, the players playing smartly and you know digging into the scene a bit to understand what's going on what the dangers are all that kind of stuff uh, I guess the only thing I would say is I was really talking about like the mechanical part of that where when you picked up the dice and you're looking at like adding modifiers, looking at your sheet and trying to figure out what your edges and feats are. And then after you've rolled, negotiation you may have with meta currency, with bennies, with taking stress to change the effects. That's the stuff I'm talking about, where a lot of games get into that. Once the dice are rolled, now there's a whole bunch of like shifting and negotiation with the GM and that sort of thing. Uh, no doubt OSR games uh, can, you know, involve a fair bit of like positioning before the roll. Uh, the way I do that, though, is that's in the game itself. So that's in the narrative. That's all part of the prose. It's part of the story. 
But once the dice are picked up, I think it's it's pretty quick to resolve. Hey, Jason. This is Gabe calling in. First time calling in. I'm calling in about the episode I just listened to where you talk to a Harrigan. And you handled the subject quite well, so well that I didn't think I was going to be able to call in about anything. I think you handled it well because you kind of kept the defining the OSR and all the various ways it can be defined kind of at arm's reach and parsed them out pretty well in how people have defined the OSR. I had no idea that Kevin in my own podcast was going to call call on me to try to define the OSR. seems like we all have a similar approach to it. So I didn't think I was going to have anything to say until you got into the gonzo. And uh, afterwards, I looked to see what Hunter S. Thompson might have meant by gonzo journalism. And I don't think his definition applies to what we're talking about in the gaming community when we talk about gonzo. Looks like gonzo journalism has an emphasis on the experience of reporting, uh, the subjective attitudes that the reporter himself, as a character, as the journalist character, and, um, you know, it's a it's a mode of writing. It's more kind of like creative nonfiction. It looks like that way. I am with Harrigan in my preferences for tone and subject matter in my gaming. I like sword and sorcery, and I think why I and I like the weird. But the the thing is, this is where I think weird fiction is distinguished from Gonzo. I think we hit it. Uh, I think Harrigan hit it. Uh, you might have said so as well, Jason. In that. With the gonzo, we don't know what to expect. We have no grounding in the world. All sorts of things can happen at any time. Whereas in my favorite kind of stories to explore, the the weird has to be an, an eruption into norm, normalcy. There should be a world that we can uh, rely on. And sword and sorcery, um, I don't know how much of this Harrigan said, but what I what my favorite sword and sorcery is something that is a close analog to what we can agree on is a realistic world, uh, even to where the stories are and the cultures are have very overt historical analogs, pseudo-historical, if you will. And it's very exemplified in Robert E. Howard's The Hyborian Age. Now, so that said, uh, Harrigan doesn't like science fantasy, and um, I, I'm just totally fine with it. If you are, if you are adv- adventuring, in a historical analog world, then science is real. And if there is a whole cosmos out there where life could have evolved on other planets or even on the same planet that you're adventuring on, where, um, you know, previous generations, civilizations have risen up and made weird science, you should encounter such things, you know, if it could totally happen. And I don't Who knew I had so much to say? Just to finish my thought. So that's why I think science fantasy is fine. I think it has every place in the type of fiction that I like as far as sword and sorcery. My first love was Tolkien, and so I should maybe address that. Um, I like human-centric, too, uh, even though I love Tolkien. And I think that that is just a really weird accident. Uh, The Lord of the Rings is a genius work of literature, um, but it's original. It, it is one of a kind. It's strange to me. Um, I, it's understandable, but that that his conception of elves and dwarves and what you know what in one one e terms we could call demi humans has become so standardized, and uh, it's a bit estranging to me to to play in a game where yeah we just have all these 
Tolkienian elves and dwarves, or, oh, this is my take on them. Um, it, and his, his cosmos is, you know, is very much, even though it's very real, um, the earliest parts of the formation of uh, Middle Earth uh, are rooted in mythic conceptions, uh, the gods and stuff. And I, I find myself at a very weird kind of disconnect when I'm trying to play, quote unquote, traditional high fantasy gaming where, I mean, they do have science fantasy elements as well, and also just this idea on this other planet, who knows where, another universe. Um, the more you get away from the grounding, and I would say the histor- uh, pseudo-historical Earth physics on Earth, be it a previous lost age uh, through the lens of Robert E. Howard or Tolkien, um, it, it's pretty singular to that. Uh, the Gonzo, to bring it back, the Gonzo is when you just get farther and farther away and more and more you feel like you cannot rely on a shared understanding about, <laughs> about what is real. Um, I lose investment in that game when anything can happen at any time, and I have no idea how to predict the situation. So thanks for all those thoughts, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Gabe, thank you so much for that call. I do tend to share your taste as far as sword and sorcery goes. I don't consider, you know, Tolkien to be sword and sorcery. It's definitely high fantasy. I do think there can be demi-humans, other races of different sorts in sword and sorcery tales, but I don't think they should be the protagonists of sword and sorcery tales. Now, there are some tales out there that do mix the two quite a bit like um, Elik of Atlantis. So those are out there. But for the most part, I like to have my sword and sorcery be human-centric. As far as Gonzo goes, yeah, Hunter S. Thompson, the Gonzo journalism, it's kind of a satirical, comedic style of writing. And of course, in Hunter's case, he actually got involved. You you know, it was kind of like the way Hearst got involved when you look at things like the Spanish-American War. Well, you know, Hunter S. Thompson literally helped influence the direction of a presidential election inadvertently because he didn't think anybody would think what he wrote was real when he's writing satirically about candidates who are doing crazy drugs and have, you know, effectively witch doctors that are, are there helping them and things like that. But people are reading these and it affected the polls and it, and it literally affected the course of the campaign, which is probably a little out of line for a traditional journalist. Although these days you, you have to watch news from a variety of sources because all the news channels have their own agenda or all the major networks at least have their own agenda. So you have to wonder what angle of the story are they trying to sell you. Uh, anyway, we're, we're getting way off topic here. So I'm going to go to the next call And then I believe that Harrigan answers both your call and the Pink Phantom's call together. So let's hear what the Pink Phantom has to say. Hey, Jason, the Pink Phantom here. I listened to your last episode, 564, OSR, What's So Special About It? I think that an episode about factions would be fantastic. Uh, It's something you hear about here and there. You don't always hear about how they work or how to set them up and everything, and some of the people who are really into faction play are really into themselves as well, so that makes it hard to get a straight answer from them. Uh, the other thing I was going to say was I do have a definition that I use to straighten, to keep weird and gonzo where that line is, 
if the weirdness that happens when it happens in world, the people are terrified or amazed or or you know really into it, really interested in it, but it's something special and spectacular, then that's weird. If the same thing happens and people are like, well, I guess it's a Tuesday because there, there's Dave over there, then that's Gonzo. So I think it's all how the inhabitants of the world treat it as to whether it's weird or Gonzo. Anyway, thank you for all you do, and uh, have a great day. Uh, the last thing I would I would add here, there was a fair bit of conversation from both Gabe. Thank you for calling, Gabe. Um, always love conversations with uh, with you over all the topics that uh, Jason and I talked about and all the stuff that you brought up about science fantasy, weird fantasy, gonzo, etc. But Gabe and both the Pink Phantom talked about specifically uh, what is sort of gonzo play in the in the rpg space at least since as, as gabe informed us it's a little bit different than what hunter s thompson was talking about uh in his in his book back in you know 1971 or whenever that book was written um long story short uh i really like the ideas that you know there's this incongruency uh it's outrageous silly absurd and that's like commonplace in the setting so i think pink phantom really put it well when he said that the way that the people in the setting react to it really will kind of tip you off as to just how gonzo it is. So if they're used to seeing, you know, purple uh, a winged moose flying overhead every afternoon, and there's like many things in the setting like that, you're you're pretty hardcore into the anything can happen type of stuff. Um, where like Gabe mentioned, now it becomes pretty difficult to like get get your feet on the ground and understand like what can and can't even happen in this setting. So uh, thank you for all the calls, folks, uh, that, that you know, rang, rang in to Jason's show to offer opinions. Certainly, I had a great time with him talking about OSR and look forward to doing it again if, if given a chance. Thanks a lot, Jason. Harrigan, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for helping me answer these calls, and I look forward to talking to you again. Next up, we have Kevin who is Gabe's partner in crime in the Analytic Dice podcast. Kevin also has the excellent burn 2d6 rpg please check both out they're both wonderful wonderful products i'm going to turn the mic over to kev hey jason uh thanks so much for your recent show on fearful ends i had no idea about that kickstarter i definitely went on and backed it uh despite the fact that my podcast is called analytic dice i'm very interested in card-based mechanics and in fact, in our latest episode where we covered uh, Old Ones, Chagas, and Riley, we talked about the lack of a sanity mechanic uh, within that one-sheet RPG. And and so I think that uh, even though I backed the full game, uh, I, I think I can probably crib those cards and use them uh, for a sanity mechanic in any game as an add-on. So I really appreciate you uh, covering this and, and, and bringing it to uh, my awareness and others, um, and I, I certainly am someone who really appreciates uh, someone taking a fresh look at game mechanics and trying to develop something new. So uh, really cool. Thanks so much again. This was a great podcast, and I look forward to hearing more. Bye-bye. Kevin, thank you for those kind words. And by now, you already know whether those Fearful Ends cards are going to work well mixed with OSR or not, right? So we need to give credit where credit's due. And Paul Siegel, who ran the Fearful Ends Kickstarter, which is now over, has already delivered the PDF to the backers. 
Now it's going to take longer for the print product, of course, but you know, the Kickstarter closed and the PDF is in our hands and you can't ask for more than that. So I, I really want to thank Paul for that quick turnaround on getting that product out there. I'm pretty sure there's the intent to eventually get it published where if you didn't back Kickstarter, you'd be able to buy it from drive through or from wherever. But I, I do want to give Paul kudos for a quick turnaround and check out Paul's other stuff. He, of course, has the Wanderings DM podcast along with Dan over on YouTube. Now, there's another Kickstarter project that I had the author on, uh, the basic experts, Macuquadal, and I know I just butchered that, but it was the white box role-playing in the Aztec Empire. That PDF has also been delivered to the backers. As soon as that thing was done, as soon as the money transferred, the PDF was delivered. So again, kudos. It you know It's so great for these Kickstarters to see that quick delivery of the PDFs and following through on the promises that the creators delivered. So kudos to the basic expert for that as well. And of course the basic expert has a YouTube channel and podcast or not a podcast, but a blog and all that kind of stuff. So you can go check that stuff out if that's of interest. Okay. Let's go on to our next call. Hey Jason, Daniel friends keep calling in. I realize I have not called in in forever. So I figured I would call in now and just say I've been really enjoying the show, all the fun interviews you've been doing, really, really cool. Having that interview with Philip Reed, I mean, they were all good, so if I don't mention one of them, I don't put it away to expense. The one with the Philip Reed, Philip Reed was really cool, though, because, yeah, I've, you know, backed a lot of their Kickstarters, and they're so creative in how they use the different materials and stuff, but just getting that insight from somebody who's used Kickstarter is invaluable, so that's really cool. Uh, but the last one, the Goblin one, was really fun too. The um, the last one you just did though, I thought was really cool, and now I can't remember what it was. Did that? Does it happen to get old? I was like, oh man, that was a really cool episode. I got to call in and talk to Jason about it. And now, of course, I'm sitting here taking up time because this is what happens when you use the the phone instead of the. Oh my god. Oh boy, I'm old. All right, I'm gonna call back because I'm absorbing a lot of time. Fearful Ends. Man, I couldn't think of the name. <laughs> oh, man. That sounded really interesting. I like the idea of the cards. That's a really, really like kind of smart move there. I know in uh, RPG A Day, there was the, uh, what's a smart RPG? <laughs> this would be one, I guess, I'd put down. Yeah, I, I like this idea. And I like that it's not necessarily associated. You know, being somebody who's played a bit of Call of Cthulhu, and also First Edition and Dragons, where they've got the various kind of... Uh, you know, mental health issues that you can get. And some of it, you're just kind of like, how do I play this out? And also, how do I play it in a way it's not going to be offensive? So I love the idea that it seems to be simple. You're angry, you're scared, whatever. That That's very cool. And there's like building up levels. So very, very cool. I will definitely pick that up. So thanks so much for sharing all this great stuff with us. I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. I'm trying to, i got to watch the Beastmaster. I, mean, I could just call in because I have seen the Beastmaster many times. But for these shows, I like to watch the movie fresh. So hopefully I'll get to watch it and call in for that. I'll talk to you. And if you listen to the Beastmaster episode, you know whether Daniel managed to watch it in time or not. I'll leave you in suspense. Let's go to the next call. Hey, Jason. Daniel Bennett's keep calling in. Thank you so much for the shout out. 
in your latest episode, the tidbits, the OSR tidbits episode. And I, I love that it was uh, two uh, Daniels or Dans that you shouted out. So there you go. Look at us over here doing the OD&D thing. I also highly recommend all the things you mentioned. In fact, all of them are things that I own and have looked through and get inspiration from delving deeper, swords and wizardry, and uh, Delta's game as well. I think that when you're playing OD&D, especially OD&D, it's important or on some level to look at several different versions of, you know, people's interpretations, basically the clones, right? Because OD&D is so open to interpretation. So I think that it's great. And, you know, and of course, Swords and Wizardry White Box is more just the three little brown books. And then, of course, you got Swords and Wizardry as it currently stands. I don't know if they call it complete anymore, but the, basically the current Swords and Wizardry that Matt Finch uh, just kickstarted, which I backed and what a beautiful book is uh, is a great system. So I think oh, there's also White Box, uh, Medieval, Fantastic, whatever. That's basically a clone of Swords and Wizardry White Box. Yeah, I would go Swords and Wizardry, to be honest with you, even though I know that the other one's more popular and also free. So all of these are worth picking up. As far as the... Um, I forget what you called it, but the combined edition. Yes, I agree. That's also very cool. And there's a few things in there. Well, you didn't mention this, so I'll just throw it out there. That are actually from the strategic review. Funny enough, they went into the strategic review and they uh, put them kind of in the body of the text where where it seems like it would be appropriate. So that's kind of neat. Like there's a thing in there about experience points for magic items. And I remember seeing it and then I was actually talking about what Chicago is. And I was like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, And he was like, that's an OD&D. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> and that's why I thought it was there. But then I realized it was from the strategic review when I did a little more digging. So, yeah, it's pretty neat how they put that together. And like you said, since OSE is basically just a – it's not exactly a copy-paste, and nor is the – I don't know what you called it, but the combined edition, it's called something. Uh, gray, gray, no, something gray, gray world or – Anyways, you said it. If people are listening to this message, <laughs> Jason said it in the edition. It's worth picking up. I think the fun thing about OD&D is if it was me and I was going to give a preference, I would say pick up Swords and Wizardry first. Uh, because, and again, I believe you can get a free version as a PDF anyways. Uh, if not the Matt Finch version, the, the previous one. And the reason why I say pick that up first is because there's great notes in there about what exactly you know, their interpretations are like throughout the book, as you're reading rules, it will say, this is why we interpreted it this way, which I think is great because then when you pick that up and then you go back and look at, uh, swords and wizardry and I'm sorry, uh, OD and D you can kind of look at those pages and say, Oh, I see what they did here. I see why they did it. Do I want to do that? Delving deeper has a little bit at the beginning where they talk about, uh, you know, what they did, but they don't really get into it in the text of it, if I remember right. Uh, but I do think Delving Deeper is really great. Uh, it's a good system. Uh, their thief is kind of interesting, so definitely worth looking at. Um, and again, well, I've already now this message is as long as your entire episode, so I'm going to leave now. Pick up Delta's uh, thing, pick up mine if you if you like. Pick up Delving Deeper, pick up Swords of Wizardry. They're all great, and uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Talk to you soon. Daniel, thank you for that. Check all those out. Over at Bandit's Keep, Daniel's show, the podcast specifically, he's been looking at strategic reviews, so the old TSR magazine that predates Dragon. So go check that out. Uh, Iron Falcon, I think, also probably has some notes in it. It's another you know, OD&D clone. But yeah, great call, great recommendations, Daniel. Thank you for all that. And check out Daniel's actual play solo videos, where he's doing a solo actual play 
And then he also has his regular YouTube videos where he's talking about all kinds of great things. He recently put out a great, great episode on how to be a better player. So make sure you check that out. Let's go on to the next caller. Hey, Jason. The Pink Phantom here. I uh, really enjoyed your show about Alien from L.A. It sounds like a very interesting movie, uh, regardless of how the execution may have been or whatever, that there's some really interesting ideas in there. And I do love stuff with, with good and interesting ideas in it. It's one of the reasons why I like a lot of the older science fiction shows and stuff is just the ideas they're based on and not necessarily the execution of them. Uh, but are you telling me that in the world of Atlantis, which is underground, they all have accents from the land down under? Is that what you're telling me? Anyway, thanks very much. Did a great job. Can't wait to hear your next show. Well, to be honest with you, I'm not a great accent guy. Um, you know, so for me, Blood Diamond, what Leonardo DiCaprio did in Blood Diamond worked really well. But I know people that are really into accents say, no, he didn't do so well. And I bring that up specifically because Alien from L.A. was filmed in South Africa, or at least parts of it were. And so I have a feeling a lot of the extras were probably South African. So that might be some of the accents we heard in there as well. You'd have to go watch it. It's on YouTube. I believe it's on Amazon Prime as well. So check it out. It's a fun film. I mean, it's a almost a kid's movie, honestly. But, but you heard the our review of it. And, and I want to thank Spencer again. We're coming up to the end of the year of pun. You, you know, it's kind of sad. I've got the November episodes already recorded. And... We're going to be recording the December episode soon, and that'll be 12 episodes dedicated to films of legendary filmmaker Albert Pun, who sadly died at the end of last year. I'm not sure if I'm going to do something like that again for 2024, probably, although I'm not sure quite what the theme is. I kind of wanted to do Jason Statham films, but that seems to have fallen flat when I reached out to people. So I don't know. Any suggestions for what 2024 should be the year of? Let's go to the next caller. Hey, Jason, and hopefully, hey, Aaron, if you listen to, I'm sure you listen to Jason's podcast. Thank you so much for talking about Holmes and Clark. I thought I'd had it, but I guess I didn't, or maybe I had a previous version. I definitely didn't have the drive through version, according to my library, so I downloaded it. So once again, Jason causes a purchase, quote unquote, purchase. I didn't see an option for print on demand, but I'd love to get a print on demand or maybe I'll just get it printed at Kinko's, uh, FedEx Kinko's. That seems to work really well. And actually my local FedEx Kinko's, they love seeing gaming stuff come through. Honestly, uh, hopefully, well, maybe they crib it. I don't know. Maybe they take anyway. So thank you so much. I loved all the different variations you put in to give players more options into a BX style game. And I definitely have fond memories of, of playing in games with you, Aaron, and then you playing in Broken Lands. So uh, anyway, take care. Really good stuff. I've really been enjoying the OSR podcast that I can catch. J Jason, sorry, I haven't called in more often. Just been a super duper busy month uh, starting from day one of October. Maybe November will chill out a little more. I don't know. Well, at least we're getting a cold front finally in South Texas on Monday. That's close to November, right? All right. Take care, guys. Thank you for those kind words, Carl. Of course, that's Carl of the Geomologist Presents podcast. Go check that out. Wonderful podcast. I got to play in Carl's Broken Lands game, although not with Aaron, 
but that was a long-running campaign using the Beckme rule set and the Orxathar supplement, the Gazetteer for the Orxathar, I think it was Gazetteer 10, where basically you played various humanoid races. So you got to play orcs or goblins or gnolls or bugbears or things like that. And it was a lot of fun. Lots of, you know, somebody earlier mentioned that they would like to hear more about faction play. And there was a lot of faction play in that episode. Maybe I'll see if we can get Carl and Harrigan on the same show and we'll talk about faction play because that could be a really interesting conversation. And, oh, and Carl, you mentioned about the print copy. To get the print copy, you have to go to Lulu. So if you go over to the website for um, Holmes and Clark, you'll see where you can go to Lulu to get that print option. So check that out. In fact, I've ordered mine and got it, and it looks really good. So highly recommended. Okay, let's get on to the next call. Hey there, Jason. This message goes out to Barry, and all I got to say, Barry, is I cry your pardon, gunslinger. I am adult. <laughs> How did I not? I, I, I think so much about the Dark Tower that... I don't know. It just slipped my mind. I don't think about it, even though it is a quintessential fish out of water story. I don't, that's not what I think of when I think of the gunslinger. I don't know why, because it is. You are 100% right. That was terrible of me. Thank you for picking me up when I fell down. Barry, you are the man. Peace out. See, I wasn't lying when I said my podcast is like the personal ads out of an old newspaper. But Joe has some more messages that are, well, aimed at a more general audience, let's say. Yo, Jason, so I just finished listening to your Beastmaster episode. That was fantastic, man. I loved all the calls. Super fun. Carl and Amy's message was awesome. I love that we got a butts and boobs count. That's super helpful. Thank you for that, Amy. Uh, yeah, Minion's call at the end there was really fun to listen to. And I I enjoyed listening to all these calls probably more than I enjoyed watching the movie as a whole. <laughs> I do have to say, if I was using... Um, if I was using NW's rating system of prone, semi-prone, or fully erect, I would be fully erect for this movie. Though that does—I don't think it's actually fully erect. Uh, standing up, I would definitely be standing up for this movie because I was doing other stuff while I was watching it. And yeah, at, you you asked it early in the episode if Mark Singer was the worst of the leading men that we've seen so far. In my opinion, yes. He is. He's he's worse than Hawk the Slayer. Mark Singer does a worse job than that guy from Hawk the Slayer. Does a worse job than the guy from uh, Dungeon Master. So yeah, I don't know. MW said that he was as buff as Arnie. I don't think so. Uh, you know, as as Henchman's friend pointed out, he is lean as, but he's I don't know. There's just something about him, and I think it's his derpy face. Um, and <laughs> The parts of that re movie that I've remembered since I was a kid, I still love and loved. Uh, and I think I'll just stick with those. Watching the movie from start to finish was just, yeah, it was too much, man. Anyway, dude, awesome calls, everybody. Great stuff. And I'm excited for Crawl. Take it easy. Peace out. Joe, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if 
MW is going to approve of you using his rating system. I'm sure he won't mind. MW, of course, has the podcast, The World's MW Lewis. Check that out, folks. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think Mark Singer was that horrible considering what this movie was. But I, I know you, you didn't enjoy it, so that's okay. I do appreciate all the calls that came in, though, 100%. Um, yeah, so an MW system, just to clarify for everybody, if you're fully prone, if you're laying down while you watch the movie, then it's a great movie. If you're semi-prone, you're getting up and walking around and then laying back down, well, your interest is a little bit diverted, so it's not that great. And if you're not laying down at all, if you're out like doing other stuff the whole time you're watching, then obviously it's not a great movie. So that's kind of the rating system that Joe is referring to. Now, Joe has a little bit more to say. So let's play those calls. One more thing about Beastmaster, though. A uh, few people pointed out that it was a good D&D movie, and that I totally agree with. I think it would make a better RPG adventure than it did a movie. So, yeah, 100%. It's an awesome, awesome D&D movie. Uh, like, for all the reasons everybody mentioned. But I just wanted to bring that up because I forgot to say it before. Anyway, peace out again. Bye. 100%. One of the callers mentioned about rewatch this movie to remind you what to put in your D&D game. Everything from, you know, great helmets to dungeons to weird monsters to, yeah. And, and not Gonzo, but we're going into weird. So don't get your hackles up there, Gabe. But yeah, I definitely think this is a great movie to help give you ideas of the kind of things to put in your game. And yeah, it would be a fun adventure to run. I agree. Okay, last thing on Beastmaster. I meant to say this in the first call, but Carl mentioned that the hawk in the movie is actually a golden eagle. And if it was a golden eagle, then I take back what I said about the golden eagle picking up the kid, because that makes actual sense. Golden eagles are freaking huge, man. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you for that science info, Carl. Take it easy. Peace out again, again. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode... Have no fear. It will appear. Thank you, Colin. That, of course, was Colin Green of the Spike Pit RPG Podcast. I appreciate you letting everybody know that. Thank you to all my callers. Really appreciate it, especially first-time caller Michael. Thank you to Ray Otis, who does the Coffee Cup Clip Art. TJ, who does the wonderful music. All the listeners. Again, if you want to reach out and comment on anything, all the ways to do that are in the show notes. I will be back on Sunday to talk about something and until then be excellent to each other who's on the phone who's on the phone who's on the phone who's on the phone maybe it's your answer or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming, it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some There is a dustbin in your moilest body tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away, don't look away Don't look away
passing and the world's gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck.